Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, beginning a brand new week. So glad that you are joining me today. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to be giving you a message from Genesis chapter number one, and I've entitled the message, Stamped with God's Image. Did you know that you were created in the image of God? There's something different about humans than all the other animal kingdom. So I want to begin by asking a question. Does a person's view of what it means to be human, is it influenced by whether or not they believe they are created in God's image? John Evans is a sociologist at the University of California in San Diego, and he analyzed data from 3,500 adults. And the question that he wanted to find out is that uh, those who believe that humans bear the image of God, do they tend to be more humanitarian in their attitudes? Do they tend to be more compassionate than others? So as we looked at this, the respondents agreed with the fact if you felt like you were just purely biological by definition of what a human is, it did influence their view. So it discovered that if this result upheld, that we're going to see that those who do not believe they are created in the image of God look less favorably on caring for others. They were less willing to stop things like genocide, less willing to stop things like buying kidneys and suicide to save money. And they would be supportive of taking blood, for example, from inmates or from prisoners. By comparison, they believed humans who are in the image of God, they were less likely to agree with money-saving suicide or non-consensual blood donation. So the fact that we are created in the image of God, if you know that, if you believe that, it changes the way that you live your life. And so today I want to look at this subject. What does it mean to be stamped with God's image. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read a little more than I would ordinarily read, but I think it's important to set the context of where we are going. Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us, so we have Trinity involved, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry around. Verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all of the animals that scurry around along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all of the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all of the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry around the ground, everything that has life, and that is what has happened. And God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good, and evening passed and morning came on the sixth day. Chapter number two. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from his work, and God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all of the work of creation. So let's look at a couple of things that we can draw from this particular text. 
I came up with six, and we're going to look at these six areas that is a result of the fact that we are created in God's image. Now, some of these things are issues of responsibility. Some of these are issues of the blessing of being created in God's image. So the first one is that we as believers who have been created in the image of God, really this is for all of humanity, right? God has given us the responsibility to rule, to rule well. Let us make man in his own image, verse 26, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God has given us responsibility. We are to rule. We are to be over the creation. We're not to worship the creation. We are to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the heavens, and the livestock. So God has given us this responsibility that we are to rule well. Because we are created in the image of God, God rules well, so we are to rule over his creation well. Now, that doesn't mean that we are abusing creation or we are abusing animals. This is one of those times where I wish I had a picture I could show you. So when I gave this message at my church, I showed a picture of my family, my wife and my kids and my grandson, and uh, my in-laws were in this picture. Then I had another picture uh, with my son, Seth, that we took while we were at uh, watching a Tides game last summer. And I had a picture of my family, and uh, we were at our favorite coffee shop, Pale Horse Coffee in Chesapeake, and just had a great time. This was around Christmas time. This picture was taken. And then I had another picture. And I said, you know, I forgot. I forgot a very important member of my family, right? And I had a picture of my dog, Gilbert. Uh, Now, Gilbert's a beautiful dog. He is a golden retriever, English retriever, snow white, a long, uh, fluffy type fur. And my wife loves his dog. Uh, So I asked the congregation uh, if a decision had to be made. And hopefully this never happens where we say, you know, somebody in the family has got to go, right? We just can't afford the expense of this particular person. So somebody's got to go. Who would we choose? Would we choose a family member or would you choose Gilbert? Now, I know um, as I make this statement, uh, some of you are listening to me and you love your dog. And, um, you know, dog spelled backwards is God, and and your dog will love you unconditionally. And many of you feel like, uh, man, my dog treats me better than some of my people in my life treat me, right? But the bottom line is this, is that when God created animals, he didn't breathe into their nostrils the breath of life. God didn't create animals in his likeness or in his image. And one of the ways that we know that is because when God created us, It says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. That is a living soul. So when God comes up with a redemption plan for humanity, he says, I'm going to redeem them. And as a result of them being redeemed, uh, they're being redeemed because they're created in my image. As a result of them being redeemed, they're going to put to death certain aspects of their lives that was part of the fall. Paul goes through great detail in this in Colossians 3. Let me just read it to you, verses 5 through 10. Paul says, as a result of being born again, we are to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Whatever belongs to your sinful nature, that is to be put to death. And he gives us a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So when a person is born again, 
there's a transition that takes place because they are new creation in Christ. They can no longer live happily in immorality. They can no longer be satisfied living an impure life, a life that is driven by lust, a life that is driven by evil desires and greed. And Paul says those are idolatry. And the reason we can no longer live that way as a follower of Christ is because we are no longer serving these idols. We are now serving the Lord. Verse number six, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of such things as these. So Paul gives us some more things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, and do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So Paul gives us this wonderful analogy. When we become followers of Christ, we are taking off certain things. He likens it to getting rid of the old self, the old practices, and bringing on the new self. And that new self is constantly being renewed as we know more and more about our Creator. In other words, the more we know about Christ, the more we become to reflect like Christ. Now, the image was planted upon us at the moment of conception. God created Adam in his image, and he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. So knowing that we are created in the image of God, that we are stamped with God's image, we should rule well. Number two, we should relate well. Isn't it amazing that because there is a relationship between the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you and I can now relate well. Look what Genesis 1.27 says, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So God wants us to be in relationship, and he wants us to be in healthy relationship. And because we are created in his image, we are able to do well in relationships. We're able to relate well with others. As a matter of fact, those who know Christ ought to be the best people relationally because we know how to relate to God. And because we relate well to Him and with Him, then we ought to have the best marriages. We also ought to have the best relationships because our relationship is not based on lust, on impurity, on greed. It is not based on anger or rage or malice. It is based on unconditional love the same kind of love that God has for us. We are able to love others that way. Now, that is a spiritual love, right? That is the ability to love somebody who is even unlovely, all because of the fact that we recognize other people are created in the image of God just like we are. And then number three, because we are related in the image of God, we are given the responsibility to reproduce. Verse number 28, Genesis 1, God created them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the earth, okay? So here we see that God gives Adam and Eve responsibility because they are created in the image of God. God is a God who is constantly producing, right? He is the great creator. He is always creating. And so uh, we are created in his image with the mindset that we should also be reproducing ourselves. 
Now, this is given in the context, obviously, of marriage, but I think that we also can apply this to the fact that we should be reproducing ourselves in the lives of others. As a matter of fact, as we look at the life of others, we should be constantly trying to build others up to help them to be fruitful and to multiply. So we are given this command that we should reproduce ourselves. So we've learned three things as a result of being in the image of God, that we are to rule, that we're to have dominion over God's creation. We are to relate well because we are created in the image of God. We are to relate well in the confines of marriage, but also in the confines of our day-to-day life. Number three, uh, we are to reproduce, be fruitful, and multiply. Number four, we are to reflect God. You see, God established the earth, and he reflected upon all that he had done. He declared it good, with one exception. When Adam was alone, it was not good. God says it's not good that a man should be alone. And I've discovered that men tend to find trouble when they're left alone. And you know, before I was married, I had a terrible driving record. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, there was a circuit judge in Lynchburg, Virginia, who I had to appear to one time, and he says, you know, because of all of these infractions that you have and all of these speeding tickets that you have, um, we are going to take your driving privileges from you for a period of six months. And uh, so they took my driver's license from me for six months. All that happened before I was married. I wasn't half the man that I should have been until I got married. You know, marriage to my wife of almost 35 years really calmed me down because uh, I I haven't had a major issue with driving in the last 35 years. I don't think I've been in an accident of any significance uh, in the last 35 years, and, and I don't think I've had a speeding ticket in over 10 years. And so my wife has really helped to settle me down, right? So I reflect on the blessing of marriage, and part of the blessing of marriage is that my wife has completed me. We reflect on the goodness of God. God reflected on his creation, and he thought that it was good. You know, that's something that humans do. We meditate and we reflect on the blessings of God. But it goes beyond that. We also rejoice. You see, Adam celebrated the arrival of Eve. And I didn't read this verse, but this is a wonderful verse, right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. The man said, This is now at last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I love this verse because Adam gets his glimpse of Eve for the very first time. You know, God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep and took a rib from his side and created Eve. And when Adam wakes up and and he sees Eve, uh, he says, whoa, man, uh, she is amazing. And she was bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And she was called woman because she was taken out of the man. He celebrated Eve. And I remember when I was married, uh, way back there in 1989. Uh, That was a long time ago. We were married right here in the Hampton Roads area. And we were married at Great Bridge Baptist Church in Chesapeake. And, uh, and I, they were in their old sanctuary at that time before they built the new uh, worship center that they have now. And we were there, and, and I, you know, I didn't get um, pre-marriage counseling. 
Now, I recommend pre-marriage counseling. I wish I had gone to pre-marriage counseling, but I guess 30-some years ago, it wasn't that popular to have pre-marriage counseling. I didn't know you were supposed to have pre-marriage counseling before you got married. Uh, I knew my wife was a believer. I knew that I was a believer, and I felt like God brought us together, and uh, so we got married. But the pastor who did our ceremony did give me some marriage advice. I'll never forget it. There we are on the day of our marriage. And uh, the way of our, our day of our wedding, rather, and it was standing in the side room, getting ready to come in, and the pastor looked over to me and says, "Now, now, Calvin, when you say I do, it's over, right? Uh, you're going to be married till death do you part." Now, if you have any reservations, now is the time to call this off, right? And now is the time to say, I don't want to get married. And he says, if you feel like you don't want to get married, I'll walk up in front of everybody and I'll just explain to them that the uh, the ceremony is going to be canceled uh, because the groom has decided he doesn't want to get married. And he says, if you're not 100% sure, I'll make that announcement. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm 100% sure. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time praying about this and planning for this. And, uh, you know, we're equally yoked together. We share the common values and goals in life. And she knows the life that she's about to enter. Uh, I was doing ministry before I was married. And so my wife knew she was marrying a pastor, bless her heart. And, uh, and in spite of that, she married me anyway. But, you know, when we get the ceremony underway, uh, I'm standing up there on the stage. And uh, the wedding party is coming down, and, and it's just a beautiful experience. And seeing everybody dressed up and everybody looking so, so wonderful. And, and then they closed the doors in the back of the sanctuary. And they got quiet for a moment. And then they began to play the wedding march. And those doors flew open. And, you know, we were kind of traditionalist, I guess, in that I didn't see my wife all morning the day that we got married. And those doors flew open. And I hadn't seen her since uh, the night before at the rehearsal. And there she was. She just radiated with beauty. I remember when those doors opened, I said, oh, my Lord, she is amazing. Uh, and I, I remember thinking, I cannot believe that somebody that beautiful wants to marry a knucklehead like me. And I was just overwhelmed. I, I just couldn't believe uh, that I was going to be blessed to marry somebody so beautiful and then she walked down that aisle with her dad, and, and we were married. And, and I'll be honest, I don't remember a, a whole lot of that day. I remember my mouth hurting from smiling so much, right, and hugging on people and shaking everybody's hand. But I do remember when those doors flew open, and I saw my wife in her wedding gown and, and her hair done in an amazing way, I was just overwhelmed. I mean, I just could not believe it. I celebrated the fact that I was getting married to the most beautiful woman in the world. So here as people who are created in the image of God, we rejoice. We celebrate the good things that God does. But there's one other thing that we learn from this passage before we kind of break it down. We also rest. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God rested from his work. All that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Now, God gives us a mighty principle here that we need to rest. Six days we do work, and on the Sabbath or seventh day, we rest. 
And of course, in the New Testament, we have transitioned that to the Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week. But the concept is very similar, that we still rest and we worship. We spend one day a week to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we spend one day a week resting. God rested at the conclusion of his creation. You know, as I think about rest, because we have been born again, we can rest in Christ. We can rest in that our sins have been forgiven. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, he gave seven statements. The last statement that he gave was a short phrase that said, he says, it is finished. Now, what is he talking about? It is finished. What is the it? The it is the work of salvation, the work of redemption. He had paid the penalty for sins of all of humanity. It was paid in full. It was finished. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, I am finished. No, he wasn't done. Oh, he was going to be taking a little rest for three days as he was in the tomb three days and three nights, but he was going to rise again. He still had a lot of work to do. He is still working today. As a matter of fact, part of what he's doing today is preparing a place for us in heaven. So Jesus didn't say, I'm finished. He says, it is finished. The work of salvation is done, and so we can rest. We don't have to labor to earn God's forgiveness. We don't have to work our fingers to the bone to please God. We rest in the fact that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You know, sin had left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as wool. He has redeemed us. He has set us free. So we can rest in the fact that our salvation is paid in full. Now, when you think about the image of God, the fact that God reflected his image upon us, it is only in humans that we are created in his image. As a matter of fact, this has radically changed human history. You see, some people think that that the claim that human equality comes from Jesus is just biased, right? But when the British historian Tom Holland set out to write his book, Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World, he was not a Christian. He'd always been far more attracted by the Greek and the Roman gods than by the crucified hero of Christianity. But through the years of research, he concluded that he, agnostic as he was, held many specifically Christian beliefs. For example, his belief in universal human equality and a need to care for the poor and to care for the oppressed, this is what he writes, that every human being possessed an equal dignity was not remotely a self-evident truth. You see, the Roman world would have laughed at that concept, as would the Greek world. To campaign against discrimination on the grounds of gender or sexuality, however, was to depend on large numbers of people having shared a common assumption that everyone possesses an inherent worth. The origins of this principle, as the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche had pointed out, lay not in the French Revolution, not in the Declaration of Independence, nor in the Enlightenment, but this truth was found 
in the Bible. You see, God created us in His image. That ought to lift your spirits today. If you're feeling kind of down because you think life is not coming together the way you wish it would, remember God stamped His image upon you. His joy is upon you. His blessing is upon you. You are created in His image. So join me tomorrow for part two as we continue on what it means to be created in the image of God. Thank you so much for joining me today. And in the moments that I have left, I want to let you know that we have an opportunity for you at Hickory Ridge Academy. Now, we are expanding our school to include first grade and second grade. So if you have a first or second grader, a son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, who is looking for a good Christian school in the southern part of Chesapeake, give us a call and uh, we'll get that student enrolled. We'll give you all the information that you need, the application packet and all that. So you are welcome to join us in enrolling uh, your child. If you're interested in teaching at our academy, we're always looking for good staff. And so uh, uh, let me know. You can shoot me a text at 252-267-2365 and I'll give you more information about the school, more information about becoming involved in our staff and love to have you on our team. That number one more time, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.